Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, deep political policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually... Um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. Hello, oddities, freaks and geeks, and any new listeners out there checking out the show for the first time. I'm the odd man out. I really want to congratulate you and thank you for taking your precious time to hang out with me and get a load of hidden history. Now, this week, it's a very special show, one that I've been working my way up to for a long time, pretty much ever since I got into podcasting and way before that even, because When you start waking up, you start looking into different conspiracies and different aspects of lesser-known history. And one could say this is the biggest one. This is the mother of all conspiracies, so to speak. And what I'm talking about is the Bavarian Illuminati, the original Illuminati, a very historical organization backed up by plenty of evidence. One thing I want to get across is this subject hasn't been looked at very much by American scholars, but in Germany, where this all went down, it's been studied for decades, ever since the group broke up or even before. So many more things have come to light through the acquisition of papers. And I think that it's important that we look into the subject a little bit further than maybe past podcasters and content providers have. A lot of guys who look at this subject, they only kind of get into the first couple layers. You know, they basically read off the Wikipedia website and maybe go a little bit further, but not much more than that. And my goal is to kind of go deeper, deeper down the rabbit hole and see what we can find, see if we can find out what their real aims were, see if we can find the good and the bad. And again, as I always say, and especially if you're new to this show, you wouldn't know that, but I always say I want you to make up your own mind. We all have our biases, and I do not dispute that whatsoever, but I wanted to bring you a good show, a solid show on this subject, backed up by sources. That's what I try to do, kind of like a writer. I want to back up my shows, the content of my shows, with sources so you can go on and do further research if you want to, or pass it on to somebody else, you know, one of those people who are skeptical, but you know that they'll do the research if you give it to them. There's a few people out there like that, and it's always fun to share this kind of content with people who are a bit skeptical, but you know that they are curious, and they will actually do their homework, and when you do see someone like that occasionally delve into a subject and realize that it's real and it's backed up by history and evidence, then it's really fun to talk to them about it and and see how they change their attitude on a particular subject. So that's kind of my goal with this episode, and I hope that you will enjoy it. And one more thing I wanted to mention was 
I actually recorded this show, this episode, months ago. And this was before I got my new recording set up. The sound quality was much worse back then. I had no idea how horrible I sounded. And I listened back to it, and I just couldn't put it out sounding like that. So I decided to re-record the whole thing. And that was actually kind of good because it allowed me to acquire more information about the subject. And if I had gone through my entire podcasting history, I should have probably made this like in the first 10 episodes, the subject. But I've just done everything in the way of whatever I was researching at the time. And that was actually, I think, a positive on this subject because that has also allowed me to acquire a lot more information on other groups because... Many people say the Illuminati are still around and that they came right out of the Bavarian Illuminati. So we'll kind of look at that as well. But I think that there are certainly similarities to many other groups in the philosophy of the Bavarian Illuminati and its leader, Adam Weishaupt. And we'll look at that and we'll talk about it. So without any further waiting around, guys, let's go ahead and get right into the show. All right, we'll be looking from several different books for this episode. We'll look to the classics like John Robeson's Proofs of a Conspiracy, Abbe Baruel's books on Jacobinism and the Illuminati. We'll look at newer books like Terry Melanson's The Perfectibilists, which is the premier book. I think everyone should have that if they really want to know the details about the Illuminati and what happened afterwards. It is just a great book. Uh, Also, a little bit in Mark Dice's book about the Illuminati. I'm not crazy about him, but his book on Bohemian Grove was good, and he's got a few excerpts that I think we'll check out there. Also, we're going to look at a little bit of the writings of Nesta Helen Webster and others. So just so you know, that's where we're going to start from. We'll also hit some websites as well and go from there. Now, the Illuminati was officially founded as many people know, on May 1st, 1776. Some say it really didn't get going until the following year of 1777. Its founder was Dr. Adam Weishaupt, who was a professor of canon law at the University of Ingolstadt, which was a Jesuit university. Johann Adam Joseph Weishaupt was born in 1748, when his father, who was a lawyer, died at a young age. It was said that his mother had died giving birth to him. Now, he was born into a Jewish household who had converted to Christianity, or Catholicism, rather. When his father died, he was left to live with his godfather, Baron Johann von Ickstaff. Ickstaff worked at the university. He was a director. He was a true scholar of the Age of Enlightenment and had an extensive library full of banned esoteric books. Obviously, this had a huge impact on Adam Weishaupt. It was said that he had a library of about 3,000 books, which is huge. And apparently, whatever books were banned at the university, he would just take them home to his house and add them to his library. Adam entered the Jesuit-run Ingolstadt University at the age of 15, and like his late father, chose to study law. When he was 20, He graduated and became a professor at that university. While he was at the university, he was taught the notion of cagistry. It was part of the rigorous education that the Ingolstadt University was famous for. Through cagistry, rational argument is used to reach conclusions that are dubious, elusive, or self-serving, and are mostly related to moral issues. In other words, he learned the art of propaganda. One critical lesson that he learned was that reason does not tell someone to be merciful. Instead, it tells them to leave no witnesses. This is from wondriumdaily.com. It says Weishaupt's beliefs and principles. We're going to look at a couple of different sources here. Weishaupt was neither Jewish nor a Jesuit, nor was he involved in any kind of other religion, although he studied and worked in a Jesuit-run university. The Jesuits were a secret society within the Catholic Church. They did whatever it took to protect the church against its enemies, even if it required political conspiracy and assassination. Like the Knights Templar, 
They got wealthy and powerful and were accused of blasphemy and heresy. In 1773, they were disbanded by Pope Clement, which presented Weishaupt with the opportunity to be promoted as a deacon of canon law. Even though he later scorned his Jesuit instructors, his method of leadership was clearly influenced by that of the Jesuits' superior general. Also, his adherence to the utmost secrecy is probably influenced by Jesuit means. This is why some people believe that he was a Jesuit at heart and secretly followed their instructions. Pop on over here to NewWorldUniversity.com. Rabbi Martin Antelman on the Sabbatean Frankists. Now, I just wanted to add this in here because I thought it was intriguing. According to Rabbi Antelman's chronology, in the 1770s, Jacob Frank made a pact with one Adam Weishaupt, a Jewish-born Jesuit, to enlist in the Sabbateans to join Weishaupt's Illuminati. During the French Revolution, documents were discovered which exposed the Illuminati's plan to destroy the foundations of European civilization family, religion, royalty, and morality through revolutions. Weishaupt's organization was formally banned throughout Europe, so a decision was made to infiltrate the relative benign Freemasonry and instill Illuminism from within. But it goes on to say, that same year of the Wilhelmsbad Congress, according to author William Still, the headquarters of Illuminized Freemasonry was moved to Frankfurt, the stronghold of German finance, and controlled by the Rothschilds. He added, for the first time, Jews were admitted to the order. Previously, Jews had only been admitted to a division of the order called the Small and Constant Sanhedrin of Europe. Jacob Katz, in his Jews and Freemasonry in Europe, wrote that founders of the Frankfurt Lodge of Freemasonry included Frankfurt Rabbi Zvi Hirsch, Rothschild's chief clerk, Sigismund Giesenhammer, and all of Frankfurt's leading bankers, including the Rothschilds, who would later fund Cecil Rhodes and his societies. From Rule by Secrecy by Jim Mars, Bernard Lazar, a well-known Jewish author, wrote in his book in 1894 that exclusively Kabbalist Jews surrounded Weishaupt. Confiscated documents show that of the 39 Illuminati holding the lesser leading positions, 17 were Jews, or 40%. The higher one looked in ranks. The larger was the percentage of Jews. Even the fact that the Illuminati headquarters in Ingolstadt were later converted into a synagogue was symbolic of this conspiracy. Lazar later stated that all the Jews became the agents of revolution because they had revolutionary souls. There were four especially important Jews in the Illuminati leadership— Hartwig Wesley, or Naftali Herz, Moses Mendelssohn, the banker Daniel von Itzig, and the businessman David Friedlander. Whether then Weishaupt was directly inspired by Mendelssohn or any other Jew must remain for the present an open question, but the Jewish connections of certain other Illuminati cannot be disputed. The most important of these was Mirabu who arrived in Berlin just after the death of Mendelssohn and was welcomed by his disciples in the Jewish salon of Henrietta Herz. It was these Jews, ardent supporters of the French Revolution, at its outset, who prevailed on Mirabeau to write his great apology for their race under the form of the panegyric of Mendelssohn. Or maybe that's panegyric, I'm not sure. In his book, History of the French Revolution, in 1848, Louis Blanc wrote that the project of Jean-Adam Weishaupt, founder of the Order of the Illuminati, together with five Jews, Wesley, Moses, Mendelssohn, and the banker Itzig, Friedlander, and Meyer, was by the sole attraction of mystery, by the sole power of association, to subject to the same will, to animate with the same breath, thousands of men in every country in the world, to make new beings out of these men by means of slow, gradual education to render them, even to the point of frenzy or death, obedient to invisible and unknown chiefs, with such a legion to secretly surround sovereigns unbeknown to direct governments, and to lead Europe to the point where all monarchies are brought down, all privileges of birth declared unjust, and the right of property abolished. Such was the gigantic plans of the founders of Illuminism. Well, let's see, the gradual 
slow education reminds me of the Fabian Society and their Fabian permeation. And as far as property rights go, that goes right back to Rousseau, who was a big, big preacher of going back to naturalism, no laws, no rules, no property, you know, that kind of hippie thing that would never work in the real world whatsoever. Goes on to say, Zionist Baruch Levy wrote to Karl Marx. Then it says, see La Revue de Paris, page 574, June 1st, 1928. The Jewish people, taken collectively, will be its own Messiah. His reign over the universe will be obtained by the unification of the other human races, the suppression of frontiers, and the establishment of the universal republic. In this new organization of humanity, the sons of Israel will become, with its opposition, the directing element everywhere. The government of the nations forming the universal republic will pass, without effort, into the Israelite hands. Individual ownership will be suppressed by the governors of the Jewish race who will administer in all places the public wealth. And it goes on, Kenneth McKillham, the subversion of Britain, how did they do it? It is the most interesting to watch the development of Jewish influence in the preparation and consummation of the French Revolution of 1789. Side by side, one sees the growth of Illuminism among the Gentiles and the Jews with a unique directive power wielded in Berlin by the Jews, Moses Mendelssohn, grandfather of the famous composer, Naftali Wesley, and the Jewish bankers Daniel Itzig, Friedlander, Mayer, Kerfbeer, and the Goldsmith brothers in London. Jewish Illuminism was called Haskalah and was headed and directed by Moses Mendelssohn, who also inspired the leaders of Masonic Illuminism, such as Adam Weishaupt, H.S. Ramirez, Lessing, Nikolai, Dom, Mirabu, and others. Jewish author Bernard Lazar has himself written, There Were Jews Behind Weishaupt. And then it has the name of the book, which is also in French. Okay, we'll go over one more paragraph here on this website, and then we'll go back and look at some other information from a different point of view. Many people say that it was the Jesuits behind him. Then others say it was the Freemasons, the Jacobins, the Jews. So I think we should look at all possibilities. Illuminism represented the efforts of the heads of the powerful Jewish Kahal, which has ever striven for the attainment of political, financial, economic, and moral world dominion. The movement had been founded in 1776 by Adam Weishaupt. Bernard Lazar, himself a Jew, has written that there were Jews behind Weishaupt, and upon the close study of Illuminism, we find that the destructive forces which culminated in the French Revolution were of three kinds, financial, intellectual, and anti-Christian. In the first class, we come upon the names of Jewish financiers such as Daniel Itzig, Friedlander, Kirfbeer, Benjamin and Abraham Goldsmith, Moses Makata, and Vietel Hein Ephraim. In the secondary category, we find Moses Mendelssohn, Naftali Wesley, and Moses Harasim, who are the inspirers of Balasing, Frederick Nikolai, Weishaupt, Mirabu, El Abbe, Gregory, the Duke of Brunswick, Wolfenbuttel, and anarchist Klutz. Lastly, the third class is composed of mostly the group known as the Encyclopedists, D.L. Embert, Diderot, Rousseau, Voltaire, and all of the Kabbalists practicing magic, among whom we find Martinez, de Pasquale, Lucht, the enigmatic Count St. Germain, Flake, and Joseph Balsamo, surnamed Cagliostro. Then finishing up here on this page, Adam Weishaupt did not invent the doctrines of the Bavarian Illuminati. He took the pre-existing doctrines of Frankist Jews and the Jewish Enlightenment, planning for world domination, and gave them a conspiratorial organizational form. Illuminism, later renamed communism by Karl Marx, is a Rothschild's Frankist Jewish conspiracy to take over the world. Now, I gotta admit, I've seen no other solid information connecting the Illuminati with the Rothschilds family. Maybe they had some common interests, some common friends, but I haven't seen it. So, there's that. Now we're going to look at 
some different points of view. But if you want to look at this website, it will be in the show notes under newworlduniversity.com. So in 1777, Weishaupt had been scheming to establish an order, an association of which, in time, should govern the world. His sanguine temper made him frequently lay himself open to the public's piercing eye. The Theodore Freemason Lodge was said to be the place where anti-religious and anti-monarchical ideas were most openly stated. Eventually, the word spread that the Theodore and several other lodges were home to a new order of Masons called Illuminists, and the express goal of this group was to abolish Christianity and overturn all civil government. Sensual pleasures were restored to the rank. They held Epicurean philosophies. Self-murder was justified on stoical principles. Abortion was encouraged and, if need be, assisted. I think there's proof of all this in the books that I have read. The order of the Illuminati appears as an accessory to Freemasonry. It is in these lodges that the Minerval degrees were found and prepared for illumination. The initiates must have gone through the first three degrees of Blue Lodge Freemasonry. And Weishaupt said that his doctrines were the only true Freemasonry. He said, yes, princes and nations shall disappear from the face of the earth. Yes, a time shall come when man shall acknowledge no other law but that great book of nature. This revolution shall be the work of the secret societies, and that is one of our grand mysteries. He said, The strength of our great order lies in its concealment. Let it never appear in any place in its own name, but always covered by another name and another occupation. And that again sounds a bit like Fabian socialism. The power of the order must surely be turned to the advantages of its members. All must be assisted. They must be preferred to all persons, otherwise of equal merit. Meaning, just like in Freemasonry, if you work in the public or private sector, you are always to try and hire a brother Mason if you need help with anything. You do business with your fellow Masons. And I think that that's one of the benefits to Freemasonry in one way that these smaller groups of men have been able to work their way up from local all the way up to national and world government. And no, I understand we don't exactly have a world government, but we have a United Nations, we have a World Federalist Society, we have the World Economic Forum, the World Bank, all these other different organizations. So a quick recap. Obviously, all those esoteric books inspired Weishaupt tremendously, and that was one of the reasons he started this order, And the Enlightenment era had so much effect on the Bavarian Illuminati, and I think that's one reason that it's so well respected by Freemasons and certain people in academia. A lot of these ideas are ideas they still hold dear, and we'll learn that as we go. And there are connections, especially in the philosophies of communism and Freemasonry and socialism, Uh, even anarchism to a certain degree. And so we have to take that into consideration for sure because all that leads directly to where we are now because the past actually does matter. And one of the ways these guys remained influential was through their books, and we'll learn that too as we go on. Robeson says that Weishaupt was also trained in the rite of strict observance, which claimed that Freemasonry was the direct descendant of the Knights Templar. He believed Weishaupt to also be very familiar with the teachings of Rosicrucianism as well. Now, interestingly enough, the Rosicrucians and the Luminists were kind of at war behind the scenes. They did not like each other. They were seen as rival fraternities. The gold and rosy cross had printed pamphlets concerning the dangers of the Order of the Illuminati. And unknown at the time, had their agents placed into the order to learn of the plans and teachings. On Freemasonry again, Weishaupt said, No man can give account of the origins, the history, goals, nor any true explanation of its mysteries and symbols. 
Therefore, any man can use the explanation of his choice. That being the case, no order should stand at the top. And that's kind of what I've learned, and I've talked about that on this show before, about really uh, the occult, cults, secret societies. There's not exactly any laws or rules, so anyone can draw any conclusions, any connections that they want. And I think it's really just however the individual sees the teachings or any other subject. However they want to interpret it, it's up to them. And that can indeed create a lot of misinformation and disinformation out there and does. Abbe Barurel, the one that wrote the book on Jacobinism and Illuminism, he said that it is not known and it would be difficult to discover whether Weishaupt ever had a master or whether he himself is the great original of those monstrous doctrines in which he founded in his school. That goes back to us talking about the possible Jewish influence, which Melanson does not mention whatsoever. Now let's read another excerpt from the real Bavarian Illuminati here. The grand art of rendering any revolution whatsoever certain is to enlighten the people, and to enlighten them is insensibly to turn public opinion to the adoption of those changes which are the given object of the intended revolution. When that object cannot be promulgated without exposing him that has conceived it to the public vengeance, he must know how to propagate his opinion in secret societies. When the object is a universal revolution, all the members of these societies, aiming at the same point and aiding each other, must find the means of governing invisibly and without any appearance of violent measures, not only the higher and more distinguished class of any particular state, but all men of all stations, of all nations, and every religion, insinuate the same spirit everywhere, in silence but with the greatest activity possible. This empire, once established by means of the union and multitude of the adepts, let force succeed to the invisible power, tie the hands of those who resist, subdue and stifle wickedness in the germ. See, there were unknown superiors in the Bavarian Illuminati. A lot of the initiates, especially the lower-level initiates, never knew who these superiors were. Even once you got in, there was so much that you did not know, and they organized it that way for a reason. So despite popular opinion, Weishaupt was kind of against aspects of the occult, certain aspects. He hated any type of superstition. He hated the alchemists. He thought it was ridiculous for these guys to try to mix these different types of metals together and different things like that. He would make fun of them. Um, he did like Egyptian lore, though. He was very much into Egyptian symbolism, Egyptian lore, and those kinds of things. So it was kind of forbidden for a lot of these guys to practice certain types of magic and occultism. Uh, some, it said, did study astrology. Gnosticism was huge, and other occult philosophies. Their faith was a faith of reason. Reason was everything. And you hear constantly Weishaupt talk about reason, reason and the happiness of man. He repeatedly mentioned those two things. He repeatedly mentioned those things as a goal for the universal brotherhood. And, of course, with libertarianism, you see the Torch of Liberty, Lady Liberty, Reason Magazine, Thomas Paine, Thomas Jefferson and his attitude towards Weishaupt, the Jeffersonian Bible, the Torch of Lucifer, the Torch of Prometheus. You can kind of see how this all interconnects there. Now, Abbe Baruel, in his book, talks about a position in the Illuminati that was of most importance called Brother Insinuator. In all these classes and in every degree, there is a part of the utmost consequence and which is common to all the brethren. It is that employment known in the code, the Illuminati code, by the appellation of brother insinuator or recruiter. The whole strength of the sect depends on this part. It is that which furnishes members to the different degrees. And Weishaupt, well knowing the importance of the task, turned all his genius towards it. Let us therefore begin directing our attention to the discovery of it. By the appellation of brother insinuator, 
is to be understood the Illumini, whose peculiar office is to make proselytes for the sect. Some brethren were more particularly instructed for that end. They might indeed be called the apostles or missionaries of the order, being those whom the superiors sent off to different towns and provinces and even into distant countries to propagate its doctrines and establish new lodges. These had received, in addition to the common rules, farther instructions peculiar to the higher degrees. These, as Vysop writes, may sometimes be most imbecile and at other times most ingenious of the brotherhood. From the former, he can depend on a blind obedience to the rules he lays down, which are never to be deviated from, and with respect to the latter, provided they be zealous and punctual, should they even transgress any of the laws, as to commit either their own safety or that of the order, and they would soon make amends for their indiscretion by some new artifice. But whatever may be the sense of the Illumini, he is obliged once or twice in his life to act the part of Brother Insinuator, and that with certain success by the acquisition of two or three proselytes under pain of perpetually remaining in the lower degrees. Some brethren of higher rank may have dispensed from this formality, but as to the generality of them, there exists a positive law on that point. And it goes on to talk about how the Brother Insinuator each one could kind of set up their own petty little empire in a certain area that they would kind of oversee. And it would give them a bit of power and also a way to recruit others and then also get those in turn to recruit even more. Robeson says, Weishaupt was the founder in 1776, but in 1778 the number of members was considerably increased and the order was fully established. The members took antique names. Thus, Weishaupt took the name of Spartacus, the man who headed the insurrection of slaves, which, in Pompey's time, kept Rome in terror and uproar for three years. Initiate Zwack was called Cato. Von Nige was Philo. Bacchus was Hannibal. Hurdle was Marius. Marquis Costanza was Diomedes. Nikolai, an eminent and learned bookseller in Berlin and author of several works of reputation, took the name of Lucian, the great scoffer at all religion. Another was Mohammed, etc. In a letter from Spartacus to Cato, that's Adam Weishaupt to Cato, one of the other initiates, it says, A subordinate object I shall endeavor to gain security to ourselves a backing in case of misfortunes, and assistance from without. I shall therefore press the cultivation of science, especially such sciences as may have an influence on our reception in the world, and may serve to remove obstacles out of the way. We have to struggle with pedantry, with intolerance, with divines and statesmen, and above all, princes and priests are in our way. Men are unfit as they are and must be formed." Each class must be the school of trial for the next. This will be tedious, because it is hazardous. In the last classes, I propose academics under the direction of the order. This will secure us the adherence of the literati. Science shall here be the lure. Only those who are assuredly proper subjects shall be picked out from among the inferior classes for the higher mysteries which contain the first principles and means of promoting a happy life. No religionist must, on any account, be admitted into these. For here we work at the discovery and extirpation of superstition and prejudices. The instructions shall be so conducted that each shall disclose what he thinks he conceals within his own breast. What are his ruling propensities and passions, and how far he has advanced in the command of himself? This will answer all the purposes of auricular confession, and in particular, every person shall be made a spy on another and all around him. Nothing can escape our sight. By this means, we shall readily discover who are contented and receive with relish the peculiar state doctrines and religious opinions that are laid before them, and at last the trustworthy alone will be admitted to a participation of the whole maxims and political constitution of the order. 
in a council composed of such members, we shall labor at the contrivance of means to drive the degrees of enemies of reason and of humanity out of the world and establish a peculiar morality in religion fitted for the great society of mankind. He goes on to say, But this is a ticklish project and requires the utmost circumspection. The squeamish will start at the sight of religious or political novelties, and they must be prepared for them. We must be particularly careful about the books which we recommend. I shall confine them at first to moralists and reasoning historians. This will prepare for the patient reception in the higher classes of works of a bolder flight, such as Robinette's System de la Nature, Politique Naturale, Philosophies de la Nature, System Social, the writings of Mirabad and Helvetius, is fit only for the strongest stomachs. If anyone has a copy already, neither praise nor find fault with him. Say nothing on such subjects to entrance, for we don't know how they will be received. Folks are not yet prepared. Marius, an excellent man, must be dealt with. His stomach, which cannot yet digest such strong food, must acquire a better tone. The allegory on which I am to found the mysteries of the higher orders is the fire worship of the Magi. We must have some worship, and none is so opposite. Let there be light, and there shall be light. This is my motto and is my fundamental principle. The degrees will be Führer Orden, Parson Orden, all very practicable. In the course through these, there will be no Stabin. Now, Weishaupt's second-in-command was Baron von Nigg, or Nigge, and he was already a very well-respected Freemason. And Gary Kaw, in his book, En Route to Global Occupation, has a little section called The Hidden Catalyst. He says, Although Weishaupt's Illuminati was exposed within ten years, he had accomplished more to further the plan during his time than all of Freemasonry's efforts from the previous 50 years combined. One reason for his success was that he had got many Christian leaders to join the order by convincing them that the Illuminati was a Christian organization purposed to unify the world for the sake of Christ. John Robeson states, In this scheme of Masonic Christianity, Spartacus, Weishaupt, and Philo, or Baron von Nigg, labored seriously together. Spartacus sent him the materials, and Philo worked them up. This apostate teaching, which was presented to Christian initiates, was explained by von Nigg. Jesus Christ established no new religion. He would only set religion and reason in their ancient rites. For this purpose, he would unite men in a common bond. And this is what they told their Christian initiates. He would fit them for this by spreading a just morality, by enlightening the understanding and assisting the mind to shake off all prejudices. And back then, the prejudices didn't have anything to do with race. It mainly just meant the things that you had learned so far. He would teach all men, in the first place, to govern themselves. Rulers would then be needless, and equality and liberty would take the place without any revolution, by the natural and gentle operation of reason and expediency. This great teacher allows himself to explain himself every part of the Bible in conformity to these purposes, and he forbids all wrangling among his scholars because every man may find a reasonable application to his peculiar doctrines. Let this be true or false, it does not signify. This was a simple religion, and it was so far inspired, but the minds of his hearers were not fitted for receiving it. I told you, he say, but you could not bear it. Many, therefore, were called, but few were chosen. To these elect were entrusted the most important secrets, and even among them were degrees of information. There was a seventy and a twelve. All this was in the natural order of things, and according to the habits of the Jews, and indeed of all antiquity. The Jewish theosophy was a mystery, like the Eleusinian or Pythagorean, unfit for the vulgar, and thus the doctrines of Christianity were committed to the adept and in a discipline arcani. By these they were maintained like the vestal fire. They were kept up only in hidden societies who handed them down to posterity. 
and they were now possessed by the genuine Freemasons. Again, that's what the Illuminati taught to their Christian initiates. They had different teachings to get people to stay in the order by whatever those people believed personally. They would get to know them enough to know how to kind of coerce them and brainwash them, essentially. It sounds great, you know, that they were teaching men how to govern themselves. And that was the esoteric. That was on the outside. Really, when you start to delve deeply into it, it was really about obeying the order at all costs and giving away all your <laughs> and giving away all your possessions to the order. You're signing your life away, just like we learned in the uh, episodes on Amork and the Rosicrucians. Now, in Mark Dice's book, Illuminati Facts and Fiction, he mentions a book from 1802 called Proof of the Illuminati by Seth Payson. He says it's one of the three primary books. Payson was an American and served in the New Hampshire State Senate from 1802 to 1805. Part of his campaign platform was his alarming message found in his book. Payson draws from the writings of Abbe Beruel and John Robeson and quotes both of them, as well as the original writings of the Illuminati that were discovered in 1786. This is what he wrote. His scheme, Adam Weishaupt, appears to be calculated, not so much for uniting persons of similar sentiments in one society, as for seducing those of opposite inclinations, and by a most artful and detestable process, gradually obliterating from their minds every moral and religious sentiment. It is in this view, principally, that this plan of seduction calls for the attention of mankind, as it develops the secret, insidious policy by which the agendas of the faction and infidelity lead on their disciples, still concealing their real designs, until the mind is involved in a maze of error or entangled in snares from which there is no retreat. But the principal means on which they depended for corrupting the public mind were literary societies or reading clubs, which they labored to set up in every town. These were modifications of Weishaupt's Minerval schools. They became very numerous, and it was the business of the secretaries and initiated booksellers to have them furnished with the books of the most anti-Christian character. And Dice goes on to say, Payson also explained how members of the Illuminati are indoctrinated with corruption and taught that it is acceptable to use any means necessary to further their order. He is placed in situations where he hears the more artful sophistry used to prove that patriotism and private affections are narrow-minded prejudices, that the bonds of marriage and parental authority are encroachments on the natural rights of men, that suicide is lawful, that sensual pleasures correspond with the law of nature, and that it is proper to employ, for a good purpose, those means which wicked men use for evil purposes." And we'll talk a little bit about the Freemasonry aspects. And it's well known that Weishaupt made it his goal to infiltrate many of the Freemasonry lodges of his time. And so they absolutely did. Now, I've mentioned this quote several times before in other episodes on Freemasonry. But this is from a Freemasonic writer, J.D. Buck, very highly regarded 32nd degree Mason. If the sincere and thoughtful Mason would take notice of the symbolism and the use made everywhere in the lodge of the word light, and remember that the real initiates are called also the Illuminati. Albert Pike said, What is the purpose for which Masonry exists? Its ultimate purpose is the perfection, a.k.a. the perfectibilists, of humanity. Mankind itself is still in a period of youth. We are only now beginning to acquire a consciousness of the social aim of civilization, which is man's perfection. Such perfection can never end with the physical perfection, which is only the means to the end or spiritual perfection. And again, in the beginning, the Illuminati called themselves the perfectibilists. And we're working on our Order of Death Part 2 or Skull and Bones Part 2. And you may remember this from part one, but we're going to mention it anyway. Is there a link between 
the Bavarian Illuminati, and Skull and Bones. Well, when the rival fraternity, which called itself File and Claw, after the tools it used to break into the Skull and Bones tomb at the Yale campus, they printed the information of what they seen inside the Yale newspaper. They claimed there were documents saying that Skull and Bones was from a pre-existing order in Germany, and pictures of the German order were on the wall. They also reported a statue of Demosthenes, a painting with four skulls with a text in German which said, Who was the fool? Who was the wise man? Beggar or king? Poor or rich? All is the same in death. Now this was actually in Latin. And nearly identical information was given by Abbe Baruel, who wrote the history of Jacobinism, around the same time as Robeson's proofs of a conspiracy. That very motto was also used by the Bavarian Illuminati, which existed before the Skull and Bone Society, which was formed in 1832-1833. Journalist Ron Rosenbaum of Esquire magazine did one of the only articles on the Skull and Bones in mainstream sources in the 70s, and he noticed this text was very similar to the speech given in the Regent or Ruler degree as documented by Professor John Robeson in his tell-all book about the Order of the Bavarian Illuminati, again called Proofs of a Conspiracy. In the Regent degree of the Illuminati, a skeleton is pointed at the initiate. At his feet lay a crown and a sword. He is asked whether the skeleton is that of a king, nobleman, or beggar. As he cannot decide, the president of the initiation says, the character of being man is the only thing of importance. According to one of the ex-Illuminati who left the group, Ernst Bob Gotchhausen, according to them, the proper control of mankind was the business of a few privileged souls whose qualifications lay in the superiority of their minds. Adam Weishaupt said, By this plan we shall direct all mankind in this manner, and by the simplest means we shall set all in motion and in flames. The occupations must be so allotted and so contrived that we may in secret influence all political transactions. We must win the common people in every corner. This will be obtained chiefly by the means of the schools and by open and hearty behavior. Show condescension, popularity, and toleration of their prejudices, which we, at leisure, shall root out and dispel. That, my friends, is why the history of this order is important for us to understand in the modern age. The pattern is unmistakable. Now, Manly P. Hall, Rosicrucian writer, Freemasonic writer, and The Secret Destiny of America, he said, There exists in the world today and has existed for thousands of years a body of enlightened humans united in what may be termed an order of the quest. It is composed of those whose intellectual and spiritual perceptions have revealed to them that civilization has a secret destiny. The outcome of this secret destiny is a world order ruled by a king with supernatural powers. This king was descended of a divine race, that is, he belonged to the order of the illumined. For those who come to a state of wisdom then belong to a family of heroes perfected human beings. Occult writer A.E. Waite said, Beneath the broad tides of human history, there flow the stealthy undercurrents of the secret societies, which frequently determine in the depth the changes that take place upon the surface. And in 1920, the Christian Science Monitor had a headline, What is important is to dwell upon the increasing evidence of the existence of a secret conspiracy throughout the world for the destruction of organized government and the letting loose of evil. Author Richard B. Spence had a great quote in The Orphan Conspiracies. He said, Maybe the most dangerous thing about the Illuminati isn't that such a master cabal has ever existed, but that some people believe it should and wreak havoc under the delusion they run the world. The spirit of the order of the Bavarian Illuminati 
can be felt in the techniques of the Jacobins, Socialists, Communists, the Order of Skull and Bones, the Fabian Society, Chatham House, the Council on Foreign Relations, Bilderberg, the Nazis, and numerous other movements and organizations. I believe their sway on Freemasonry has changed its direction forever. It's a shame the term Illuminati has become a blanket label for any faction deemed conspiratorial because it has led so many to believe there never was such a group throughout history to begin with. American historians have all but written the order completely out in historical textbooks, but fortunately for us, German researchers have studied the subject inside and out and documented what they were able to find from official documents and testimonies of those who were actual members. We now know the plans and aims of Weishaupt and company, their attitude towards religion and rule, and how they operated inside and outside of Germany. A total of five edicts were handed out by Bavarian officials. The last included execution by the sword for active initiates, but that still wasn't enough to stop what the Illuminati had begun. The numbers would decrease, but stealthy members would travel to areas outside of where the laws were enforced and recruit fresh blood. When it looked as if there was no way it could continue, as was in the Freemason lodges and backrooms of pubs, senior members would change the name or create reading clubs as a way to continue intellectually influencing the public without the pomp of degrees and allegories. Professors, the governing class, and theologians made up most of the lead men of the clubs, and this perhaps is why they were able to continue such an influence on the public. Their positions allowed them to bring more and more people into their fold, stretching the ideas of the Bavarian Illuminati far beyond the year 1790 when they allegedly were finally disbanded. Clubs were noted as far as Russia. I believe their philosophy is alive and well in the movement of global governance and the great reset we are now experiencing. The New Age movement also draws many parallels which appear to be as popular as ever. 2 Peter 2.19 has a great little verse, and it says, While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome. Of the same is he brought into bondage. All right, guys, that finishes up part one of the historical Illuminati. Thank you for taking the time to hang out with me, and I hope that you learned some things that you did not know before. I can't wait to bring you part two. And right now I'm working on part two of the Order of Death or Skull and Bones part two, which I will finish before I get out the second part of the Illuminati. I know I do things weird, but I think you will enjoy that one as well. I want to thank you guys for listening, and I want to encourage you to share the show. Please share it on whatever social media platforms you are on. And of course, word of mouth helps as well. I want to thank my wonderful patrons for supporting me. I want to thank Refsad, Jay, Chris, Mark from Housatonic Live. Please check out his work. It's great. Fantastic. James, Bill, Peterson, Rooster, John William Brisson from We've Read the Documents, Greg Mayhall, Kilowatt, Sir Tim of the Tunnels, Aaron, David, Jack Allen from Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence, and James. And I want to also thank my podcasting family, AlternateCurrentRadio.com. Please get on over there and check out all of their wonderful shows. They've got plenty of talk shows and music shows as well, because sometimes we all need to get the hell away from politics and social issues and just relax and listen to some good tunes. So check out AlternateCurrentRadio.com. Thank you also to Fringe Radio Network for posting this show. Check out their website as well. And remember to support these outlets any way you can. I will be talking to you very soon if it's the Lord's will. Cheers and blessings. And remember, the Bavarian Illuminati's order is not our order. See you guys.
were in the news today. After buying NBC Universal from GE just a few years back, Comcast has now reached a deal to acquire Time Warner Cable in a $45 billion all-stock transaction. It would make our parent company by far the largest U.S. cable provider.